Thank God for a gospel that gives God to us without any effort. Reinhard Bunke said, God gave himself for us that he might give himself to us. Therein is the gospel. That you would receive God as your satisfaction, your righteousness, your wisdom, your understanding, your peace, your joy. You'd receive God based upon what God did. All you did was surrender. Praise God. I don't know about you, but I'm recognizing more and more I have a great need for Christ. But I have a great Christ for my need. The wonderful thing about this gospel is that, as Charles Spurgeon said, you stand before God as Christ because Christ stood before God as you. If we could just swallow the fact that God has given to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if you could swallow that fact, you'd live holy. Why? Because there's something that happens when you put faith in the gospel. The scripture says in Galatians 3.14 that you receive the promise of the spirit by faith. In other words, once you believe this gospel, you get infused with the spirit of this gospel. And that's a new heart. <laughs> Listen, the, the expulsive power of a new affection, as Dr. Chalmers wrote over 100 years ago. Listen to those words, the expulsive power of a new affection. You see, religion just wants you to try to live differently. The new covenant is a, an expulsive power of a new affection. In other words, something's expelled by new love, new desires, new desires that you didn't work up, new desires you could never work up, new desires that were implanted by the work of another that you simply believed. Oh, Galatians, what did you do to receive the spirit? Is it by works of the law that you receive the spirit or by hearing with faith? Praise God, it's this way. I'm finding that the more I believe the gospel, the more the spirit takes over my life. I find all the deficiencies in my life are gospel deficiencies. I'm finding that where I fail to believe the fullness of what God has done in Christ Jesus apart from me, a righteousness for me apart from me. That's incredible. The more that I believe that, the more the spirit takes dominion in my life. And then the, the gospel begins to work out. Do you remember what Paul told the Colossians? He says, listen, listen, listen. You guys are trying to put all these other things in, new moons and new Sabbaths. You're trying to beat yourself. You, you know, you're, you're, you're severely treating your body. Listen, how did you receive the Lord? Then he says, after you answer that question, so walk in him. How did you receive the Lord? I, I know how you guys receive the Lord because it's the same way everybody receives the Lord, which is you gave up. You literally laid everything down and said, I can't do this. I'm an absolute mess. I throw all of myself on your mercy. Is that how you got born again? If you didn't, I invite you tonight to come to Jesus. <laughs> you threw everything on Christ. As you received him, so walk in him. Did you begin in the spirit and now you're going to make it better by the flesh? Did you begin in the spirit and now you think you're going to add some stuff to what Jesus has done? Listen, the moment you try to add to Jesus, you no longer believe him. 
But if you believe in Christ, Christ will work in you. Listen, God's not interested in you just turning away from sin. That's literally the smallest thing in the, in the situation. He wants you to be inhabited by him. And, and when we realize this, what happens is our focus completely changes. We then surrender, and it's so much easier to just let God do it. Andrew Murray wrote, God longs to live your life for you. That's the gospel. <laughs> you say, Eric, could it be so easy? Yes. It's called the new covenant. Well, what do I do? You give up. <laughs> and you let God do what he does in your life. Yeah, but I've got, I still got issues. Well, welcome to the club. What we're doing is continually surrendering again and again. As I said last night, this life, this whole Christian life is just re-enchantments with Christ again and again and again and again and again and again. Praise God for that. I can't grip a cross hard enough or grit my teeth hard enough, but I can yield and give up and find that the Holy Spirit wants to do this thing for me. Andrew Murray also wrote, a dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. I want to preach the gospel to your ears tonight that liberty would come upon you fresh because the liberty that is in the gospel makes holy people. The liberty that is in the gospel makes people like Christ. Praise God. There's a, uh, an experience I had that was connected to the song that Jackie sang, Take My Heart, My Whole Life Too, Good Old Elvis. I had been traveling for a while, and I was missing my kids, missing my precious wife. And I was on the road for, for preaching. You know, I'm preaching, I'm preaching, I'm preaching. And I was missing my family. You know, there's no price to experience God's presence, but there's a price to preach the, the gospel. It's not just going. It's what happens when people don't like what you're saying. That's, that's also a price. So I was gone and my heart was hurting, just missing my family, tired, and just really wanting to go home. Just see my wife, see my kids. And I started worshiping. And as I was worshiping, the Lord showed me my kids' faces one by one, and then my wife's face. And I just smiled from ear to ear just with this mental vision in my mind. I could see them so clearly. And the Lord asked me a question. He said, do you love me more than these? And then Jackie started singing, take my heart. Take my whole life, too, because I can't help falling in love with you. And something snapped inside of me that day. I've been damaged since that day in a wonderful way. There's a, there's a holy limp, if you will, but from that touch of God on my hip. And I found something very special, that there is a love that God desires that is far above compare with anything else. And though we love him, uh, uh, though we love many things in, in this life, God has given us wonderful things, pleasurable things. He's, he showers on us 
gifts. The, the scripture says he gives us richly all things to enjoy. There is a place in the inner being that cannot be challenged. And that's what God desires. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture you've all read it. You probably thought it was kind of harsh like I did the first time I read it. Jesus says, if anyone loves father or mother, wife or children more than me, he's not worthy of me. Or what about this one? He says, if you don't love me more than your own life, you're not worthy of me. And I thought it was so harsh at first when I first heard these words. I thought, man, that's really, that's really difficult. That's really hard. And then the Lord began to open my eyes and show me something about this. Imagine a guy, okay? He sees a girl walk into the building and he says, wow, I'm going to talk to that girl tonight. He walks up to her and he says, I was stricken at the sight of you. I'd give anything to take you to dinner. Can I take you out? And she says, sure. They go out. They start spending some time together. Then they start spending all their time together. They're head over heels in love with one another. And one beautiful sunny noon day in an open field, they lay down on the grass side by side having a picnic. And he turns to her and he looks at her in her eyes. She looks at him in his eyes and he says to her, I love you. Will you marry me? And she looks at him and says, you know, if you marry me, that means you're saying no to all the other girls. He looks at her and he says, that's exactly what I want. Only you forever. That's marital love. And when Jesus says, if anyone doesn't love me like that, they're not worthy of me. He's actually saying, will you marry me? What he's saying is, do you love me enough to be committed to me and only me forever? It's not him whipping you and saying, work your love up. He's saying, am I beautiful enough to you to be attractive enough to you to say, I love you and I want to be with only you. That's what he's saying. Have you seen what I am enough for me to steal your heart and run away to heaven with it? Because in that moment, when you see him for who he is in the gospel, you fall in love. And you say, take my heart and my whole life too, because I can't even help falling in love with you because your heart became so heavy in the heavens, it dropped you to the earth for me. And so you see, imagine a man who looks at a woman. Let's say there's two people about to get married, and the man says to the woman, he says, I, I love you, but I don't think I'm ever going to be able to love you more than my mom. Do you think that the woman would say, awesome, that's great, I'm fine with that? No. No woman is going to marry a man who loves his mother more than her. This is what Jesus means when he says, you must love me more than your mother, more than your father more than your wife, your children. He's saying, I must be above all. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm saying this because I felt in my heart this love shift in the room during worship, and I felt like Jesus has come, and he's got wedding rings. 
and he's handing them out to whoever, whosoever will. Recognize his beauty and say, yes, only you forever. As I wrote a poem a long time ago, some of you probably heard it. Marry me, let me be all to thee. None can be what I can be. Give ears to hear and eyes to see. Fill your heart with ecstasy. Lift you into my victories. Take you above life's mysteries and miseries. Love you now and endlessly and marry you eternally. He wants to marry us. He wants to be number one, unchallenged in the heart. So with that said, turn over to Song of Solomon, part two. How many of you were here last night? Let me see your hands. Okay, let me just tell you, those of you that were not here, I'll tell you a recap of what we talked about. Then we're going to touch on Song of Solomon and what Jesus, how Jesus wants our love to be expressed and experienced. Two E words for you, expressed and experienced. We express our love this way, and we experience his love this way. We're going to jump into it in a second. But last night, I spoke to you guys about a couple of things. Number one, that Song of Solomon starts with a kiss and ends with a hurry. Starts with a kiss and ends with a hurry because it's your experience of Jesus that causes you to say Maranatha. The more you experience him, the more Maranatha gets in your blood. Even as Paul said it like this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, your expectation of glory to come comes from your experience of him subjectively, internally. The more you experience him inwardly, the more you reach for him outwardly. So we see that in Song of Solomon's love. Kiss, hurry. Kiss, hurry. (laughs) Praise God for that. We also saw that he sees us as altogether beautiful and he sees no blemish in us. Praise God for that. That's hard to even swallow. But he looks at you and he's so overtaken with love for you. I can't believe that you make his heart race. I make his heart race. We make his heart race with one glance of our eye. You kidding me? The scripture says in Psalm 113, he humbles himself to look upon the heavens. And the heavens are so much greater than here. Anybody who's had any kind of inkling towards what heaven looks like, I know I could probably say right now who's had a vision of heaven and there'd be many people that raise their hands. You know it's a lot better than here and a lot more glorious than here, a lot higher quality than here. It's incredible, right? He humbles himself to even pay attention to it. In other words, it's an act of humility for someone so high whose glory is above the heavens to actually give attention to the heavens, let alone the earth, let alone go to the beggar on the earth and lift them from the ashes and make them a prince. And more than that, to come down all the way into the planet and be spit on by his own creation, mocked, questioned, questioned? You're questioning God, smacked, kicked, beaten, bleeding, suffocating. Oh, a twisted crown of thorns too small in size, pressed into his brow and blood flowed in his eyes, blinding him to all but the prize. This is humility personified. The blood of God not realized. And though men love things that are deified, not a God that's crucified, but that's my God. He comes and he dies. Oh, precious blood of him who loved me so. His hands are nailed. His head hangs low. His body is broken. His back is slashed open. The splintering cross is soaked in blood. 
blood. Oh, what love and a love of me. And I see his glory when his feet are upon the sea, but never such glory as when they're fastened to the tree. The breath of life breathes out his ghost, a dismayed angelic host with a naked God upon the post. He's mostly red. Come down, they said. Man's faith is dead, but God bled for sin to bring Adam back in. I tell you, this is... This is the gospel. And I, I tried to point to you earlier, point you earlier yesterday to the fact that she falls in love with him and is asked why she loves him. And that's exactly what she says, because brightness extreme became a bleeding dream because him who is above the heavens has come to the earth to suffer on my behalf. In my place, he stood condemned. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. This is just incredible. And that's why she loves him. Her very first thing she says and the summary of everything that she feels and everything she's experienced from kisses to hurry to him loving her and him being all him being a brightness extreme and a bleeding dream, her conclusion is this. He is altogether lovely, entirely exciting. That's what he is. He pulls me in. Everything about him pulls everything about me towards him. You know, the soul's attracted to him because it was made to be connected and together operating with him. And by sin, it's been separated. And when you see him that you're supposed to be united with, you're pulled towards him. The soul is moved towards God when it sees him. So I want to specifically speak to you a little bit about how we express and experience this wonderful, precious gospel love of Jesus Christ every day. Can we do that? So turn over to... Uh, Colossians, uh, sorry, Colossians, Song of Solomon 8. Sorry, let's go to 2 because 8 would kind of ruin things. Let's go to 2. Look at verse 3. This is the beloved, this is Christ speaking to the bride. Look at what he says to her. Or Sorry, she's speaking of him. Like an apple tree. She calls him an apple tree, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest. So is my beloved among the young men. Are you hearing what's happening here? Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest. So you have a contrast here of two different types of things. You have an apple tree that bears forth fruit and can be eaten. You can receive nourishment from it. Then you have the trees of the forest that do not have nourishment. So in other words, what she's saying is only my beloved can nourish my soul. The problem is, is that so many people in Christianity start looking to ministers to be nourishment, but they're only trees of the forest. Only the beloved is an apple tree. And so if, if you start running to apple if you start running away from the apple tree to the trees of the forest to get nourishment, you're going to eat bark. And that's why we have so many weirdos. Because they're eating bark. You're not meant to digest that. You're getting sick. 
You're all weak. It's because you're eating the wrong thing. You need to eat only of the beloved who can nourish you and tastes great and is wonderful. The greatest ministers in the world wear a sign on them that say the apple tree is that away. Because <laughs> only Christ can nourish your soul. And this isn't just this isn't just like the thoughts of Christ. It is the living Christ to experience and taste the wonder that he actually is. As a matter of fact, if you if you were to look at um, abiding in Christ as Jesus teaches it is extremely interesting. John chapter 15, the verse before John 15 starts, there's four, I think it's 439, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. But the verse just before the chapter begins, which you know there were no chapter breaks, so it should have read like this. Jesus said to them, get up, let us go from here. I am the vine. So get up, let us go from here is very interesting to me because he gives you an imagery. They stand up, Jesus, with his disciples. They stand up. He says, get up, let us go from here. Now you have all the disciples and Jesus, they stand up, and now they're walking in sync with one another, making progress in the presence of Christ. That's an imagery for what he's just about to teach them about abiding. Abiding is remaining in sync with the Lord in his presence, making progress. So he starts off and he says this, this is what I'm going to teach you, how to abide, and I'm going to do it with you while I teach it to you. So he says, the very first lesson of abiding is this, I am. In other words, there's no abiding until you recognize his presence. I am, that's present person. I am is a state of being present. He is present. And this is the the name also that Moses was told, he was to tell them that he, you know, who am I supposed to say sent me? I am that I am. I am present. I am here. I am all conscious. I am everywhere. I am, I am here. <laughs> Jesus says, if you're going to abide, you have to recognize my presence. See, listen to this. The presence of the Lord is in the present. So many people don't abide in his presence because they're too far out ahead thinking of the future. Some people don't abide because they're stuck in the past. But if you want to abide in his presence, you have to know he is I am. The very first lesson he teaches is this, I am. It is his presence. But then he says, true vine. In other words, true means there's false ones. He didn't just say, I am the vine. He said, I am the true vine. In other words, there will be many things that claim or will purport to give you nourishment. They are not the vine. The true vine. He says, I am. The true vine, my present person gives you life. Praise God for that. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. So then it says, I am the true vine. Listen, let me just tell you something. The Bible is not your vine. Worship music is not your vine. Prayers are not your vine. Life is Christ. And those things are only of benefit to you to the degree he himself is tasted touched, and experienced. You say, Eric, I don't believe that. Let me tell you something. I know people that know the Bible better than ministers. They're not saved. There are people that literally, they have studied this book, and they know this book in and out. They actually teach it in seminary, and they're not born again. I'm telling you, this book is is given to you 
as a window to look at the face of Jesus. You're supposed to look through it and see him. See, the scriptures are a straw through which you drink the Coca-Cola. So the word of God and the scriptures, we have to understand that though this, the word of God can come through the scriptures, the scriptures themselves are not the word of God. You say, is that true? Yes, Jesus says, you search the scriptures to the Pharisees. You're searching the scriptures because in them you think you have life. Then he says, but they're telling you to come to me, but you won't do it. Are you following me? See, the outer shell of the scriptures must be cracked for the living voice to come out. And men, mental acrobatics and expositions and commentaries will never be heavy enough to crack the outer shell of the scriptures. Only the living presence is strong enough, heavy enough to break the outer shell of the scriptures for the living voice to come into your soul and that you may live. Praise God. The Bible is the only book that demands the author be present when it's read. Praise God. We need a living Christ, my friends. He is the true vine. Praise God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We need a true, a living Christ, a real Christ who breathes. You can Prayer becomes something totally different when he's alive. You just go into the room and you watch him blink and breathe. Somebody said to me one day, I'm having a hard time experiencing God in prayer. I said, did you forget that he's a person? That's the number one reason people don't experience God in prayer outside of self-consciousness. They're more conscious of their method or getting their thing done. He's alive. And he's here. And he desires attention and love. And yes, he will use the scriptures. I love the scriptures. And he speaks through them. And it's like the pages are breathing. And when the Lord is in the room, you don't know if you're looking at the Bible or if the Bible's looking at you. So we have Jesus is the true vine. It's important, too, to recognize that Jesus is the one who's teaching them how to abide. In other words, it is the presence and voice of the person of Christ that you learn abiding. No, no man can really teach you how to abide. You've got to go into his presence and hear his voice, and he will teach you how to abide. Praise God. So, Song of Solomon 2.3 like a lily among thorns, sorry, like an apple among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade. I want to tell you something about the shade of the Lord. There's no way into the shade but under. It's submission that enters the divine shadow. If we want to run our own lives and call our own shots, you'll never know the wonder of the shade and shadow of the Most High. To abide, to abide under the shadow, you've got to go under the shadow. You know, if, you, if, if it started to rain and I looked at you and we were getting wet and I looked at you and I said, uh, I, don't worry, I know where a pavilion is. And you looked at me and we're still getting wet, wouldn't you say, well, take me to it? Because the knowledge of the pavilion's not enough. you got to go under it. Amen. Sometimes he doesn't stop the rain, but he will take you out from underneath its influence. Praise God. We go under the shadow. Submission to him. Lord, whatever you wish, Lord, whatever you 
wish. That's what I desire. So it says here, in the shade, I took great delight. So where is the delight found? Under, in the shade. In other words, so many people forfeit the wonders of delightful fellowship, which I tried to articulate last night using the words of many old saints. The wonderful delights that are found inside of Christ, they forfeit them because they want to run things and be their own master and not come underneath the shadow. They want the blessings of the shadow without having to go underneath it. You know, some people want God just to wave a wand over them and take away all their problems. But the Lord will not do that. The reason why is because he wants to be your deliverance and not just give you deliverance. He doesn't want to just, you come over here, yeah, you get some deliverance, go on. You get some deliverance, you go on. He wants to be, as he says in Hosea, I want to be your deliverer and deliverance. I give myself to you as deliverance. So people remain delivered when they stay with the deliverer. We were talking at lunch today. Everybody talks about revival. Revival is only the reviver in our midst. Praise God. So here we are under the shadow to great delight. Look at this. I sat down. Oh, here's where rest of the soul is found. Delighting in the Lord underneath his shadow. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. Praise God. Oh, the tastes of God are far beyond anything that can be experienced in this world. When we taste the Lord, we lose taste for other things. John Wesley wrote, the Christian is kept from sin by greater attractions to Christ. And I would encourage you that holiness, it means you have tasted something so much greater. It's a... Result. So now turn over to Song of Solomon 8. Remember what we started with. The apple tree is where nourishment is found. Look at what happens here in chapter 8, verse 5. It says, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Look at this. Beneath the apple tree, I awakened you. But beneath the apple tree, I awakened you. In other words, in fellowship with God is where the awakening takes place. The opening of the eyes takes place. He reminds her that her fellowship with him is what opened her awareness and caused her to be able to see. Beneath the apple tree, I awakened you. People fall asleep in their Christian life when they no longer sit under the shade, delight in his fruit, and sit down and enjoy. Enjoying God is the key. Only the enjoyment of Christ can keep us in right relationship with God. It is enjoying, the, it is enjoying fellowship with Christ that we partake of the riches of the divine life. This is the highest delight known to mankind is to be able to fellowship with God. It should be not only our greatest desire, but it should be the center of the reason why, we, why we're alive is to fellowship with God. Do we have all kinds of other things that we do? Absolutely. Everybody's got jobs and everybody's got, there's hobbies that the Lord has even put in our hearts because he loves to teach you through practical things. So a lot of times he gives you a hobby that's, that's tailor-made to the way you're made so that he can talk to you through it. 
He's just this way. He's a romantic. He's just, you can't get away from how romantic he is. He logs in your mind smells and sounds that remind you of him so that when you're starting to get, you start waywardly thinking or you start going somewhere else, he just brings that smell past you or he makes somebody say something. And remind, you know what I mean? Is he not like this with you? Have you ever just kind of forgotten about the Lord and just went about your own life and then somebody looks at you and says rubber ducky when you were four and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God. You know what I'm saying? He comes looking for you, as it says in Song of Solomon, that when the beloved comes looking for the bride, it says he comes looking in the windows, plural. In other words, he doesn't just come to the front window, she ain't home, and they leave. He goes to every window in the house looking for her. Does that make sense to you? And then even when he comes and she's sleeping, what does he do? He knocks. He says her voice. He's every means necessary. He's saying, my bride. He knocks. She doesn't wake up. So what does he do? My God. He puts his hand through. He reaches his hand through in hopes that she would see his hand and remember the things that he's done in her life. Maybe he wants her to see his nail piercing. Remember what I did for you? Remember when I healed your daughter? Remember when I healed your husband? Remember when I healed you? Remember when I saved you and pulled you out of sin? Look at my hand, the things that I have done. Look at my nail-pierced hands. Remember me. And it says that when she saw his hand, her feelings were aroused. She woke up and then she she said, I got to get up. In other words, when you remember the gospel, when your numbness, your numbness sets in, you remember the gospel. It's seeing the wonderful hand of your bridegroom and it will awaken your feelings again. People say, I don't care about feelings. I have a problem with that statement. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Only a corpse is without feelings. He also said to be unfeeling is to be unfruitful. (laughs) You see, we're never without feelings. Even if you're numb, that's still a feeling. (laughs) Feelings are inseparable from knowing God. You say, Eric, is that true? Yes, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you tell me. It's, It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Isn't that amazing? In other words, there's all kinds of people walking around talking about what they know, talking about what they know, but they don't know love, righteousness, peace, and joy. They don't know those feelings. Are you interested in a love, a joy, and a peace that you can't feel? Anybody? You you want that love and joy and peace that you can't feel? It doesn't make any sense. The words themselves are against saying that there is no such thing. Jesus even tells us that he's going to send some person to us, and then he gives them a name. And the name is connected to something that can be felt. I'm going to send you the comforter. (laughs) In other words, in this world, you're going to need some comfort, and I'm sending a person whose name is the comforter, and he will be that for you. Praise God. If we can't lean into the wonderful, blissful enjoyment of God in our darkest time, what is the gospel? Praise God. So he awakens you. But look at this. Just a side note. Verse 5. He, who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Real quick. The wilderness is a place of solitude. Nobody's out there. It's a place of solitude. The wilderness with God is your solitude with God. And she comes out of her solitude with God leaning on her beloved. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? In other words, you learn dependency by solitude with God. You spend time alone with the Lord. You learn how to depend upon him. 
And then you, when, when you, you learn by being alone with him, you learn how to lean on him. And then when you lean on him, you start learning things. There's a learning that only comes from leaning. <laughs> Just ask John. <laughs> if you lean on your beloved, John's seat will always be open for you at the table. You can live. Look at this. And it's such a transforming uh, experience. She learns dependency. She's leaning. And they say, who is this? She's not even recognizable because of the level of dependency she has learned by being alone with her, her, her beloved. Does that make sense? I want to be transfigured by dependency that I found by being alone with the Lord. Anybody? Yeah. Praise God. So now let's turn over to 7-8 of Song of Solomon. So first, she enjoys the apples under the tree. Then he reminds her, I awakened you there. This is how you, your, your revival is here by eating. And now he says in verse eight, he says uh, the, the last little bit, and the fragrance of your breath like apples, he says of her. The fragrance of your breath like apples. In other words, she's been eating the apples under the tree. And the evidence of having eaten the Lord is upon her breath. This is called ministry. When a man, a woman spends time eating of the Lord, their breath will smell like the apples they've eaten. Does that make sense? And that's what I'm after. I'm after a fragrance of fellowship. And I, am, I grew up in the church and I heard many sermons without any fragrance of fellowship. And all it did was push me further and further away from the Lord and just tighten me down with law. But when I started to smell the fragrance of fellowship through ministry, it was attractive because it smelled like the apple tree himself. Are you with me? So if we want to be of any benefit to men, to entice them to go to the apple tree, we must have the fragrance of fellowship, having eaten the apples. Praise God. And I'm going to end with this little story that I love uh, so much. Many of you have heard this story, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it to show you in a, in, a, in a fresh way that enjoyment is the issue. Striving is the curse. Enjoyment is the covenant. As you enjoy the Lord, you become like him. Your likeness to the Lord will never exceed your enjoyment of the Lord. And the more you enjoy the Lord, the more you'll become like the Lord. Just like you are what you eat. <laughs> So in that way, there's this story of a little boy, and he finds this tree, an apple tree. And he runs over to the apple tree. The apple tree looks at the boy, and he says, why don't you come and climb up my tree and swing on my branches and eat of my apples? The little boy does it. He climbs up the tree, swings on the branches. He lays in the shade, and he eats the apples. He enjoys himself fully with the apple tree. Some time goes on. The boy gets distracted, and he goes away, and he comes back. Later on, he's a little bit older now. He got distracted. And when he comes back, the tree says to him, why don't you come, boy, climb up my trunk, swing from my branches, lay in my shade, eat my apples. Let's enjoy each other's fellowship again. Let's be together. And the boy says to him, I'm a little older now. And I don't really have time for that. I need, I need money. Do you have money for me? The tree says, I don't have any money for you. But you can have my apples. And you can go into the market and you can sell them and then you'll have money. 
The boy takes the apples from the tree. He leaves, sells the apples, gets what he needs. And then he comes back later on in his life. He's older now. The tree sees him and he says, why don't you come, boy? And you climb up my trunk and lay in my shade, swing from my branches. And the boy says, I'm older now. I don't have time for that enjoyment anymore. He says, I've got a wife. I've got kids. I need a house. You got a house for me? The tree says, I don't have a house for you, but you can cut off all my branches. You can make for yourself a house and you will have a house. So the boy cuts off all the branches, makes himself a house. Years go by. He doesn't come visit the tree. Finally, he decides to go visit the tree and the tree sees him. and He goes, come boy, climb up my trunk, lay in my shade. And the boy says, I'm way old for that now. He says, I just want to get away from life. I need a canoe. You have a canoe for me? The tree says, I have no canoe for you, but you can cut me down and make me into canoe and you can go. So the boy cuts the tree down, makes him into a canoe and he goes away. And when the boy finally returns to visit the tree that he used to enjoy, there's nothing left. There's nothing left to enjoy because he stripped him by using him point of the story is this. When you stop enjoying God, you start using him. And the crazy thing about him is he will let you. He will let you use him. You say, Eric, I don't think he will. Well, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? Some of us think that because we see demons come out or we see the sick healed or because you know, people manifest when you pray for them or they fall down when you pray. We think that that means something. My question is, do you enjoy Jesus? Do you stay away from enjoyment? Are you afraid to look at yourself in the mirror because you know you don't have the sweet laying in the shade and eating of the apples and swinging from the branches that you used to know? But maybe you're here tonight and you just want to say fresh, Lord, I will marry you. Lord, I'll find all my satisfaction in you. Lord, I turn my back on all these other things and I'm going to lay in the shade. That's all I want is to eat of you, to smell like you, to be awakened by you, to live here enjoying you. Maybe you'll make a commitment with me tonight that we will never leave the enjoyment of God. We will stay as our main focus of every day of our life to enjoy God. I wonder if you'll make that commitment with me. Is that all right? Can we do that? If you'll make that commitment with me, just stand to your feet. Jackie, just stay right there, right in that whatever you're doing there, going back and forth. I love that. What I'd like to do right here, we're just going to wait for a little bit. Is that okay? But what, what is important in waiting is that your heart is just set upon the Lord. We don't wait for his presence. We wait in his presence. So just right now, just turn your attention to the Lord. We'll just keep the music real soft like that. Yeah, this will help you. Just take a deep breath in. Breathe out.
time. Just take a deep breath. I'm just going to sit here for a minute in his presence. Let the layers fall off. Layers of activity and performance and stimulation and need. Take out of your hands all the weapons you've picked up to defend your life. Just let him take from your hands the rod of condemnation that you beat yourself up with. Let him take it. Just remove your hands from your wounds and let him tend to disappointments, the slash of betrayals and abuse mistreatment, loneliness, and loss. Just let him put your head on his chest and still your worried tempests. 